how can Christian leaders, how can leaders, how can leaders effectively address ethical dilemmas and make decisions that align with their faith? Hmm. I think the buffer in every decision is love. Hmm. So regardless of what environment or context that I'm leading in, as someone who's following Jesus, leadership is influence. Leading in the way of Jesus means that the way of influence is to lead by love for love. So the buffer in every situation is love. The hardest thing you will ever do as a leader is to make a decision that you know inevitably is going to hurt someone. Yeah. Uh, someone has wisely told me a long time ago that the essence of leadership is building really, really strong relational bridges that'll bear the weight of truth you have to give. Mm-hmm. And sometimes as a leader, you have to make decisions and say some things that are heavy. Yes. So like the ethics of a thing and how it's received and how it's handled really has much more to do with the investment you've made before you have to make that decision. Yeah. Like how much have I invested in this person? Does this person know that I love them? Does this person know that, you know, can this person trust me? Yes. Um, One of the questions was about trust. Uh, Trust in leadership terms is the currency of relationships. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes, am I trustworthy? Because it's almost like deposits and withdrawals. Mm. If trust is the currency of relationship, have I made enough deposits so that I am trustworthy? So that when I have to make a hard decision, they trust me because I've been trustworthy and the relational bridge is strong enough to bear the weight. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. There will be times when people do not understand because you've had to make a really, really hard call. And I think the way of Jesus um, challenges us to continue to walk with that person and, you know, for them to see that you care, yes. that it hurts you, that they're hurt. Yes. But there is a cost to being a leader. And mm-hmm. too often we don't make really hard decisions because we like you've weighed the cost. Yeah. And it like I've deemed that it's going to be too much, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. Sure. Mm-hmm. That being said, how how do you cult, how do you cultivate and maintain trust among your team members or followers as Christian? How do you build that trust? Hmm. I think way too often you gain a position of leadership, you lean on the position instead of the the values and characteristics that make up the leader. You begin to lean too much on your position and not on relational connection, not on humility, not in integrity. And, and so, so much of leadership is caught. It's not taught. And by that, I mean, like, even with what we're doing in the leadership track, there's only so far that we can go because I'm not able to do life with those students. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about the fact that all those leaders are in the room and they are, kind of picking up what I'm laying down. Um, I think leadership winds up being about inspiration, perspiration, uh, information, example, uh, follow me, do this with me. Mm-hmm. Now you do it and I'm going to do it with you. And then you do it and I'm going to go find somebody else. That's mm-hmm. kind of the model Jesus gave us. You know, He did it. And then he did it and the disciples were with him. 
and then yeah. they did it and he was with them yeah and then they were doing it and he's deuces yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm going back to the father yeah. um yeah. um the other thing too that i i the they're like the primary challenge that every leader will face consistency competency and character like your consistency as a leader builds influence mm -hmm. it's it's the trust currency mm -hmm. yep. when i am inconsistent that is a withdrawal yeah. when i do what i say and say what i do that is a deposit mm -hmm. so am i consistent do i exhibit competence so one thing for us to talk about leadership is a completely different thing for you to actually exhibit competence yeah. in, in your leadership capacity. You guys, when we connected before we came to um, do this, I was watching you in your competence because you guys were, there was a problem to be solved and you guys were solving the problem and were thinking critically about how do we best do this. Um, there are a lot of leaders that talk about leadership and then they get into that situation where there's a problem to be solved and it's like, chickens with their head cut off running around in a circle. Yeah. So, so, you know, consistency, competence, and then character. Like, do you break down? Are there flaws, excuse me, in your character when there's pressure? Yeah. Um, here's another one. I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said that the greatest test of your character is power. Yes. Mm. Like, how do you change when you get authority? Mm. And I think the example of Jesus is the more power he got, the more serving he did. Yes. Yeah. The more power he got, the more loving he was. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's the test. Like the more, if I get, if I have influence, then that should mean I should be more loving. I should be yeah. more caring. I should serve more. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't know. Did I answer your question? Yeah. How does a leader increase their power? Oh, that's good. Yeah. How does a leader increase their consistency? Consistency. I, you know what's interesting, and it's it's this is going to sound like I'm copying out because I'm going to go back to something you've already said, but I think it's true. I, I would say to every person who wants to be a leader, don't aspire to be a leader. Aspire to be a person of a kit, integrity, yes. humility, brave, excellence, grit. You do those things consistently, you. So, for example, if integrity is choosing to be responsible to what is true, there's three parts of that that we need to ask ourselves. What's the hardest part of choosing to be responsible to what is true? Is it the choice? Is it the responsibility? Or is it determining what is true? So even in that question, there is work to do. Yes. Am I yeah. consistently making the choice? Mm -hmm. Am I being responsible in the choice that I make? And have I determined what is true? Yeah. And the same holds true for all five of those pillars. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, humility is choosing first to go last. Well, do I struggle with the choice to be humble? Yeah. Because humility is a choice. Yes. Um, why do I want to go first? And what does it mean to go last? And is that really humility? All those things come into play. Yeah. So I think don't aspire to be a leader. Aspire to be a person of integrity. Aspire every single day to choose integrity, humility, Courage, excellence. So, you know, for me, like I'm going to make this personal. The the interactive we did today, yeah. I was asked to do that again, and I've done it at every Rocky when I've done the leadership track. Nice. But I wanted to, today was the best one we've done. Yeah, no questions asked, and I think it's 
for two reasons. One, teenagers were willing to get really good little lines. And number two, I am not content just doing it the way I've done it in the past. I need to make sure that excellence is like, I I want to, I want to go the extra mile here. Yeah. Yeah. So every single time you're trying to push yourself. Yeah. Yeah. The leadership track this morning went so well because of students' willingness to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And from my experience, I've learned that the, the most, and there's so many, there's so many amazing leaders of our time. Yep. Um, specifically, I think about Brene Brown and leading with vulnerability. Can we, can we just stop right now and thank God for Brene Brown? Yes. Yeah. Thank yes. you, Jesus. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, thinking about the space that was created that encouraged that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I stop and I'm thinking, how many spaces are are we encouraging that vulnerability with? Yeah. These teenagers, where they're coming from, their every their everyday life. Mm-hmm. How many times are they encouraged to be vulnerable and met with love? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does it have to take them driving ten and a half hours up a mountain to some random camp to be vulnerable? Or yeah, yeah how do we foster those spaces in everyday yeah. life? Yeah. That's a. I'm assuming y'all are speaking rhetorically. You're kind of asking. Yeah, let's yes. talk about it, please. Well, I think one, I actually said this today in the interactive or in the chat. I think one reason why teenagers get emotional at the end of weeks like this is yes, God did something amazing in their life. Mm-hmm. Yes, many of them have had Rocky Mountain high love affairs where they, <laughs> where they, where, where they met someone who is special. But I think it has more to do with the fact they're emotional because they got to go home mm-hmm. to the rat race. Mm-hmm. Like they got to get, they have to get back in to, yeah. to the fight. Yeah. And I think that's why they get emotional. Mm-hmm. So some of, some of them finding this to be a safe place is a great thing mm-hmm. because it isn't what they spend all of their time in. But I do think as leaders, as generation before them, I think we have a mandate to make our faith communities and faith spaces safe places yes. where yes. they, they feel seen, they are heard. Yes. Uh, part of the whole motivation of the interactive today, we worship people we put on a platform who have a microphone and can either sing or speak. Yeah. We talk too much. We sing too much. We need to let the next generation share their opinion. Yeah. And it shouldn't shock us that they feel undervalued when we don't value them enough to listen to. Them. Mm-hmm. So at the very least, I had a, an older lady today came up to me and she was like, I'm just so amazed that they like opened up. Mm-hmm. It's not rocket science. You just give them an opportunity to do it and take them seriously. Yes. And it's like, I mean, they, they, you know, the beautiful thing about y'all's generation is you're the, you know, newsflash adults. They're the most, you're the most educated generation in the history of America. Um, you, you, you have a search engine at the touch of a button. You can fact check anything that I say, Yeah, you know, in two minutes, you could have completely destroyed or endorse something that I've said. So why are we not giving the next generation an opportunity to share their perspective. It doesn't, wow. it doesn't make any sense. Wow. Okay. That reminds me of um, 
Ryan and I went to a conference in California about it was for youth pastors specifically, like training the next generation. And the first speaker talked about how the next generation is like a mission field in themselves. Because one, it's the biggest generation or largest generation alive right now. Two, it's the most unchurched generation alive right now. And three, I mean, hello, they're the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The proportions of, of the ages of pastors in America right now is ridiculous. Like, we're not going to have any pastors in 20 years because they're mm-hmm. all retired and done. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not enough people giving space, giving voice to the next generation like Stuart mm-hmm. is. And I feel like what we're saying here is like they're ready. Yeah. And they yeah. want to. We just maybe aren't respecting them or listening to them. Well, yes. and to Gabby's point, and this may be controversial and y'all can have me on on a different podcast and we'll yeah. talk about it. Part of the reason why there are so few, you know, the largest, the largest religious group in America is the nuns. Yes. And that's N-O-N-E-S, mm-hmm. not N-U-N-S. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning they have no religious affiliation, which in itself has become a religious affiliation. Mm-hmm. But part of the reason why that's the fastest growing is because of, and here's where it's going to sting adults, the institutional hypocrisy of the church. Mm-hmm. And we have to be honest enough to admit that for us to act as if that hasn't happened actually does us more harm with the next generation. For us to, oh, that was just a one-off. It's not a one-off. Mm-hmm. You know, the Protestant church owes the Catholic church a giant apology because we have been so harsh with the Catholic church about pedophilia and the abuse of priests, but the Protestant church has just as much abuse in it. And so part of the reason why your generation is uh, pessimistic is because of the institutional lack of control Mm -hmm. and you ready for this, the lack of consistency, the lack of character, And yeah, we can say all we want. Well, that isn't Jesus. You're exactly right. It isn't. But we've put men and women in front of them saying, follow this person's example. And those people are leading the institution. So we have some work to do for for the church to become the safe place that it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Yes, I I completely agree with everything you're saying. Shane Pruitt's the guy that was speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love Shane. But we're also being unfair to the next generation when we demonize them for being the largest unchurched group in America, when we've given them a reason to be unchurched. Right, yes. exactly. Yes. That, that to me is unfortunate and it's it's not balanced. I completely agree with yeah. the sentiment, but there's always a reason why. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, you know, your generation can fact check pastors, they read, you know, the, whether you like it or not, the beauty of social media is that news is in your fingertips. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing all the hypocrisy. Um, It's probably every week that another pastor falls in some sort of Mm -hmm. immoral sin. So for us to be shocked that, that you guys are like, eh, I I think that's unfair. And I think it's worth saying it's at the end of the day, it's not about whether you're churched or unchurched necessarily. Like what we're talking about is, like salvation and the relationship with the Lord, there which obviously comes so much better in community with a church. Right. But I think sometimes we put too much emphasis on if you're in or you're out versus if you're 
just growing closer. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 You, any growing teenager should want community with, with, with other believers. Absolutely. You desperately mm -hmm. need it. Mm -hmm. But we also can't demonize them where they're, while they're trying to figure that out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're going to go there. Okay. When you're talking about these institutional and systemic issues mm -hmm. and the, the struggles that that students are feeling um the the hesitancy to be to step in take that leap in faith because they don't feel seen and heard mm -hmm. how can christian leaders foster a culture of inclusivity respect and unity within their organizations and within their communities okay. when there's different identities mm. are you talking about from a sexual orientation idea a race idea or all of the above all of the above yeah that's yeah students are not feeling seen students are not feeling seen and heard mm -hmm. because they're not seeing themselves right they're not hearing people that look like them right or or love others like them mm -hmm. students also they're not encouraged to step forward in leadership roles because of their identity that's good yeah. so how can how can leaders foster that's good a, a space yeah Inclusivity. The first thing I would say is that the fact that you're asking the question proves that there's a lack of understanding in the way of Jesus. Mm. And I'm going to I'm going to say something that can probably be taking taken uh, too far. And I do not want anybody to take this too far. Um, and I'm, I'll make sure that I say it the way that I mean to say it. The Bible is an ancient library a nuanced collection of historical narrative, poems, uh, letters made up of two divisions, Old Testament, which includes the Jewish Torah, which was the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The New Testament made up of four gospels by people who either did life with Jesus or interviewed people who did life with Jesus and letters written to Churches who started springing up all around, you know, faith communities that started springing up around the Mediterranean Rim after Jesus rose from the dead. Okay. So that's the Bible. Jesus, John tells us that Jesus said this in, I think it's John 5. He was talking to religious leaders and he said, you search the scriptures thinking that they will give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. So in essence, what Jesus was saying is that the point of the scriptures, according to Jesus, is Jesus. Yeah. 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 And when you rise from the dead, you can say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By definition, everything in the Bible is technically biblical. Does that make sense? Gabby, you're looking at me like I'm yes, crazy. Yes, yes, yes. By definition, technically, if it's in the Bible, it's biblical. Right. Absolutely. But not everything that's biblical is the way of Jesus. Mm. Y'all smell what I'm cooking there? Let yes. me give you some examples, and this is why I'm going where I'm going. Genocide is biblical. Loving your enemy is biblical, but only one is the way of Jesus. Mm. Slavery is biblical. Chain breaking is biblical, but only one is the way of Jesus. Patriarchy is biblical. Countercultural elevation of women is biblical, but only one of them is the way of Jesus. Yeah. Y'all, you understand yeah, what yes. I'm saying? Yeah. So part of part of the reason why I feel like it's important to go with that question is for us to start asking ourselves, are we 
are we committed to being biblical or are we committed to the way of Jesus? Because if, if we're committed to the way of Jesus, then inclusivity is a part of that. Yes. And it also demands this. I talk about this all the time. I've talked about this in, you know, at Rocky and Rocky Plus and all that kind of stuff. U.S. Census says by the year 2045 in America, if you are Caucasian, you will be a minority. I live in the great state of Georgia. That number is 20. That date is 2030. I live in Atlanta that we've already passed it. Mm -hmm. So I, as a Caucasian in Atlanta, am a minority. If I am not being inclusive of people of color, then that means I'm basically making myself obsolete. I am not understanding what's coming. Yeah. I'm not helping prepare the faith, the, the, the faith communities for my children and my children's children, because I'm not understanding like my whiteness is my, the, the, the privilege I have because of my whiteness is going to go away. Mm -hmm. So I, I need to be inclusive. Yeah. Just for the sake of the future generations. Yeah. Sure. What are some resources or recommendations? Mm -hmm. Next steps. Next steps. Oh, that's a good question. I think leaders are readers. So I would highly recommend you to read stuff. A lot of stuff having to do with leadership. It doesn't necessarily have to be overtly Christian. Like I'm, we mentioned Dr. Brene Brown. I read anything and everything that she writes. I read anything and everything that Adam Grant writes. I read anything and everything that Malcolm Gladwell writes. I'm a giant Simon Sinek fan. Um, but at the same time, I am trying to balance uh, people who do leadership for a living with the N.T. Wrights, you know, theologians, the mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis's, the G.K. Chesterton's, um, Dr. Tony, e I mean, the list, Lisa Sharon Harper, the list goes on and on and on. Because I'm trying to get better in the way of Jesus while being better at being a leader. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I just think you need to develop the habit of gobbling up and reading as much as you can, getting really, really good at being consistent at integrity, humility, courage, excellence, grit, and then lead someone. I mean, you don't have to have a position to be a leader. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's, a, in fact, one of the things you'll find in so many of the leadership gurus is they always, 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 talk about positional leadership. They, they know it's not true. They, they know that the essence of a person is the power of leadership, mm -hmm. but they always frame it in the context of positional leadership. So the, the more you can, you know, get involved in influencing someone, the better off you're going to be. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be president of your class, captain of a team, just be a leader. Yeah. And again, in the way of Jesus, because of love, the overall well-being of the person. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. And in 2026, if you're a high school student, you're listening to this or a middle school student, you're listening to this, you need to come to Rocky Mountain High. Hey, yo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank y'all for having me. Well, Stuart, thank you for coming. <laughs> and we love and appreciate you, who you are, and your heart for Jesus and your willingness to love others relentlessly and scandalously mm -hmm. and we appreciate you being here mm -hmm. thank you mm -hmm.